listen to your heartbeat. Breathe in and breathe out, and listen to your heartbeat. There's a wonder in the here and now. It's right there in front of you, and I don't want you to miss a miracle on the Since, since we started this series four weeks ago, we have had a couple of Polaroid cameras out in the foyer. And during in between and after services, we've been taking people's pictures. We've been creating moments. Don't miss a moment. Get it? So we've got all of these snapshots up here, and it is just so cool for me to look at this stuff. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The thing about a photo for me uh, that's more than just pictures, more than just uh, capturing a face or, or a moment in time, the reality is for me that when you look at a, a snapshot, when you look at a photo like this or a video or something, it, pictures have a way of capturing the essence of a season of our lives, don't they? Isn't that interesting how, how we can take these pictures and, and if we were to zoom ahead five or ten years from now and look at these pictures, we'd, we'd realize that pictures don't just capture a moment in time or a facial expression. They actually capture the essence of a, of a season of our life. A couple weeks ago, we got out some home movies, and we were, uh, we were watching them at the house. And, and they were of, of 2002 when we moved here, almost seven years ago now. And, and when we moved here to start the church, we didn't know what we were doing, and we didn't know how it was all going to work. And it was just my wife and I, our then 18-month-old son, and Mike and Dave, these two college guys. And w- watching those videos... A couple weeks ago, I, I, of this little, little, small, inadequate for my family apartment that we lived in, um, it was painful. And I paused at one point, I turned to my wife and I said, I, I just about can't watch this. Because, Because it brought back all of the emotion of that season of our life that was so hard and so painful and so lonely. And all we had was a vision from God and faith. And, and see, that's what pictures do. That's what, that's what home videos, that's what these can do for us. I, I wonder if we kept this for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years and, and we pulled it out again what would be the emotion that is stirred in our hearts when you and I look at these pictures again when we when we go back to this year when we go back to this moment this season of our life what will we feel for some of us we're going to feel amazing joy and just jubilation and the reason why is because because we have found love in this season of our life we've gotten married maybe we've we've had a child and and we find ourselves in this place in our life where we're going this is just a mountaintop for me this season of my life is amazing 
Maybe for others of us, we would look back at the snapshots of these moments of our life and we would go, that is tremendous amount of pain that maybe we're going, man, I've lost my job, I've lost my home, I've lost my marriage, whatever, that there's some kind of pain attached to it. See, that's legacy. And as we conclude our series, this is part five of our One Life series, today we're talking about our legacy. The legacy that you and I leave Because here's what we have to understand. Each and every day of our one life is shaping and creating our legacy. The legacy that we will one day leave behind. And so, as we conclude our series today, we're going to look at two men. And these are not going to be unfamiliar men. We've been looking at them throughout this series. And they're two kings. The first is King Saul. The second is King David. And of course, this whole series has been framed up by looking through the one life of David, one of history's greatest leaders. We're learning some things about our one life as well. So today, I want us to to compare and contrast these two leaders, King Saul and King David. So let's start with King Saul, because he was the first king over the children of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we actually take a look at at some of his life, and I want to tell us a little bit about King Saul, and let me rewind to do that and go all the way back to Moses, because basically the children of Israel had been in bondage and slavery in Egypt for several hundred years, and, and that God miraculously delivers them out of Egypt, out of bondage, by a deliverer named Moses, who goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, oh, let my people go. Oh, 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 oh. They come out of Egypt. God miraculously delivers them. Go across the Red Sea, the whole deal. Well, now, for the first time in several hundred years, you've got several million people who are God's people who have no way of ruling themselves. They have a slave mentality. They've come out of Egypt, and the Egyptians told them what to do their whole life. And so God's like, uh-oh, we better do something because these people are going to destroy each other if they don't start to get along. They've moved from family to nation. And God's like, well, if you're going to be a nation, then you kind of need some guidelines, whatever. So Moses goes up this big mountain, And that's where he gets the Ten Commandments. God says, listen, we just need some basic guidelines, nothing specific here, on how we all get along and play nice in the playground. So he says some things like, this is complex stuff, don't kill each other, Um, don't sleep with your buddy's wife, Uh, whatever your buddy has, don't be all like covetous and jealous of that. So he throws out the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down and basically then that becomes the law. That's what the Old Testament would call the law. It's the beginnings of the law where God says, listen, you're not a family anymore. You're a nation. And as a nation, you've got to figure out how to get along. Well, here's the thing. Disputes continue to arise. And so as disputes continue to arise, God began to realize, Moses began to realize, we need some sort of judicial system that helps us with, uh, interpret and understand this law, these Ten Commandments, this stuff, so to speak, that God has... has put over us so we don't kill each other and so God raised up a series of judges in the Bible to rule over his people well here's the thing the people of God didn't like that and so they started resisting and they started saying things like we want a king forget the judges we want a king and God's like you don't want a king no really God we know what we're doing we're we're totally we we got it independent of your thinking and all of that and I know you created all this but you know what we we don't want your judges anymore give us a king and God's like you don't want a king you don't want a king I'm telling you you don't want a king well finally after much persistence by the people of God God's like, fine, you want a king? Here's a king, 1 Samuel 9. Look at this. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. And Kish had a son named, here's his name, Saul. Look what the next part of that verse says. It says that Saul was, look at this, a handsome man. 
as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. In other words, here, what, he was Joe Stud. He was the man. God looks all over and is like, okay, you want a king? Got it. And he finds this guy whose dad's name was Kish, and so they were from the right family line. And so the whole thing, he was raised in the right neighborhoods. And, 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 taller than y'all. <laughs> He's like a head taller than everybody else. And so God's like, okay, you want a king? Here's your king. Boom. And he lays his hands on Saul and he says, this is the guy. Verse 13, or chapter 13, look, he goes on from there. Saul was 30 years old when he became king. 30 years old, God finds this 30-year-old spessa, wait for it, man. He's like, this is your king. And he reigned, he ruled in, in Israel for 42 years. See, God anointed Saul to be the first king of Israel. But here's the thing. King Saul had a chance to set the precedence for generations of future leaders to come of what a godly king should be. Unfortunately, Saul never developed the backbone necessary to lead with integrity. And in fact, Saul was a wishy-washy leader. One minute he's going God's way, one minute he's tracking, and God, I'm all in, and the next minute he's out doing his own thing. And he's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and God's finally like, forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it. Two chapters later, forget it. First Samuel 15, 11, look at this. I regret that I've made Saul king. Because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And then look, Samuel, who was the guy that God spoke to, the prophet, the preacher guy, who was supposed to anoint the kings, God, Samuel gets angry. He's like, God, why? And he gets angry not only at Saul, but at God. And he's like, God, why? Why would you raise up a king like Saul and then take your hand off him? And it says that he cried out to the Lord all night. He went into like prayer mode. It's like, God, this isn't right. And then after a while, Samuel's anger and frustration turns from God and it turns to Saul. Why couldn't you be more of a man? Why couldn't you not be wishy-washy? Why, could you, why couldn't you be the leader that we needed to lead our people? Look at this. Amazing. Verse 35. Until the day Samuel died, he didn't go see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him. He mourned for him like he was dead. And the Lord regretted, look at this, that he had ever made Saul king. Well, Saul ruled for 42 years, and we actually talked a little bit last week about how it ends up. Saul, King Saul, and his, his sons are on the battlefield, and they're fighting against the Philistines. Remember us talking about this? Chapter 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul. Hot pockets. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons. Sorry, wow. And they killed his sons. Look, his three sons died. Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua. Verse 3. The fighting grew fierce around Saul. And when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Look how Saul's legacy ends. Verse 4. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through. Or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. What's the end? What's, what's the last big thing that King Saul does? He commits suicide. And did you notice in there what he says to his armor bearer? Listen, kill me. You know why? Because if they get a hold of me, 
They'll abuse me. Now listen, here's, he was talking about being abused after he was dead. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I don't really care. I mean, after I'm dead, it's kind of like, whatever. Cremation, put me in the ground, whatever. Donate all the organs. Take it all. Why does he care? Because Saul was so caught up with his image that he was afraid that the Philistines would abuse his body and thus tarnish his image after he died. So there on the battlefield that day, Saul dies by a cowardly act of suicide. And his sons die as well. Legacy over. Now, compare that with David, the next king, because once Saul dies, then David becomes king. And here's the thing, because before we rush to this glorious, David's awesome, he's the man, veggie tail, you know, things are made after him, he's great. Let me remind us that just a few weeks ago, this is the same guy that we're talking about who committed adultery and then had the, the woman's husband murdered, and then tried to cover it up, manipulate the whole deal. So, so on the surface, we would be tempted to think that, that their legacies would actually be similar, that Saul was a wishy-washy leader and missed opportunities, and David, he was just a mess up. But check out what the Bible records several hundred years later in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22. Check this out. Listen to what God says about the difference between Saul and David. After removing Saul, he made David their king. Look at this. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse. Look at this phrase. A man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Saul wouldn't do everything that God wanted. Saul wasn't all in. But David, my boy. What was it? What was it about David's legacy that led God several hundred years later to, for Scripture to record that God says, this is my guy. In the midst of the screw-ups, in the midst of imperfection, David nailed it. How did David get his legacy right and Saul botched it so bad? How? What was the difference? What was the difference between the one life of Saul and the one life of David? I believe it was four things, and that's what I want us to talk about this morning. There are four things that I believe have everything to do not only with David's life, but with our life as it relates to the legacy that we will one day leave. And the first one is this. He modeled purpose over perfection. What was the difference between Saul and David? I believe, first of all, it was this. David modeled purpose over perfection. David had a clear picture of why he was on the earth and what he was called to be and to do. See, we leave a crooked legacy when we lack a purpose for our life. Saul wavered from his clear purpose of leading and consequently he ended up a cowardly, weak warrior who ended up ending his own life and worried about his image to the moment of his death. But David, on the other hand, was clear about his purpose. And here's what I want us to understand. I'm going to speak personally for a second. See, if you want to write something down, write this down. 
clarity of purpose gives us authority. Clarity of purpose gives us authority. See, it's not perfection that gives us authority. It's it's not being perfect. It's not about making every decision right. The thing that gives us uh, gives us purpose in our or, or gives us authority in our life is being clear on our purpose. And David was a man who was clear about his purpose. This week, Mike and Scott and I drove up to Atlanta. We took a road trip. And we were a part of a, of a conference that we go to every year called Catalyst. And it's held in a big arena on the northeast side of Atlanta. And there were 12,400 next generation leaders gathered in this place on Thursday and Friday, all day, both days. And this is my seventh one that I went to. That from the beginning of our church, this has been something that we just knew we got to go to. And it, it, I'll be honest with you. On Wednesday driving up, I was pretty down. I was pretty discouraged. Uh, and I knew, I knew going in, I wrote it in my journal, that I, I was like, I, God, I need you to touch me. I need you to fill me up. I need you to do something in me. And on Thursday at the conference, there were two guys that spoke, in particular. And as I watched these two guys communicate and just preach and just bring it, I looked at them and I said, these guys speak with authority. And I feel like I've lost that. And I felt like God was speaking to my heart on Thursday saying, Matt, you used to. And I want to restore the authority that we have in this book to speak and to lead like that. And at the end of the last session, Craig Rochelle, the guy that spoke of the Warrior Series here, that he was speaking... And at the end of it, we had this time of worship. And I literally, the, the people in front of us left, and so I went down in their row, and I literally got down on my hands and knees, and I buried my face in my hands. And I said, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for not living on purpose like David. Forgive me for not shutting off my cell phone. Forgive me, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we can all sit here and act like it doesn't exist, or we can talk about it. Let's talk about it. Please help us create a distraction list. You got it. Um, wow. Wow. I, I was on my face before the Lord, and I just said, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not leading with that kind of authority. Forgive me for not stepping in to that clear purpose and that clear calling that you have called me as a pastor and a leader to lead. Forgive me for being wishy-washy. 
for being scared, for being afraid. Because see, Next Level Church, there is a movement of God that He wants to do in this part of the country. And we are on the forefront of that. It is our time. It is this, this is our day. This is the moment. And we don't lead movements by being wishy-washy. We don't see lives change the way God wants to change lives through this church by being all just, well, whatever. No, we do it by stepping up and saying, this is what we're called to. This is the clear purpose. And we may make mistakes, but we're going forward because God's authority has brought us here and we will not be silent. We will impact our community because somebody's got to. We got to get clear on this. We don't just haphazard our way through life. That's not how the world changes. The world changes when Christ followers like you and me resolve to say we know our purpose and we will do whatever it takes to make sure every person knows. Clarity of purpose gives us authority. So church, I'm standing before you this morning and asking you to forgive me of being a wishy-washy leader. And I'm just telling you, from this moment on, it's go time. Flip the lid, push the little green button, because this sucker's about to launch. Because there are too many lost people who are living desperate, hopeless lives in this community who desperately need to hear what we're talking about. It's not going to be perfection, but baby, I'm telling you, we're going. Because I got a purpose, and it is go time. And we, Next Level Church, are a part of a movement that God is doing on the earth today. And it's, it's, okay, it's, it's giddy up time. <laughs> when my five-year-old runs the bases in the backyard and we play baseball, whenever there's a, a ball that goes to the outfield, he goes, he's running around first base, and he goes, you better get on your horse and ride. And he just runs. <laughs> We're going to get on our horse. We got to go. You know why? We got to go. You know why? Because there are over a half million people right now who are not in church. There are half million people who right now don't understand what God wants for their lives. There are over a half million people in Southwest Florida right now who think that the best life has to offer is 18 holes who think that the best life has to offer is a a Sunday drive in their convertible, who believe that the best that life has to offer or the worst that life has to offer is the despair that they're living in and watching their home be foreclosed on and they believe that that's all there is to life. Guys, we know that's not true. And God's given us authority to go and to present His love in real ways because that's how we leave a legacy. Number two. David raised a God-fearing son in Solomon. It's sad to say that not all of David's sons turned out well. And because of sin and wrong choices, there were some sons and daughters of David that ended up falling through the cracks. But there was one son named Solomon who actually took over the throne. Check it out, 1 Kings. I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord. David is talking to Bathsheba. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Solomon took over. The legacy David left was that there was a God-fearing man in the next generation. 
And somewhere in the midst of all of the mistakes David made, somewhere in the midst of all of the chaos of his world and his life, somehow, somehow, Solomon watched his daddy. And he saw faith in that man, a faith that said, a man after God's own heart kind of faith. And Solomon looked on and watched how his dad led and watched how his dad ruled the kingdom. And he watched how his dad honored God in all of that. And Solomon, when David was dying, Solomon grabbed the baton from him and carried it on for another generation and said, I will lead our people in the ways that are right before God. And listen, I want you to know that we can't lose the next generation. There are close to 200 kids who come to Next Level Church every single week. We can't lose them. We only get one shot. We can't just go, well, you know, I hope that the culture doesn't get to them. No. They'll be lost. The culture is at war with our kids. What we do back there is not a game. We don't babysit. It's strategic. Why? Because we got to develop the next generation or we lose our nation. It's up to us. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, it's up to us. Nickelodeon doesn't get to raise our kids. We do. You want a ministry? Go home. You want a job? Go home. See, our job, how we pay our bills, is not really our job. If we're parents and we have kids, that's our job. Going to work every day, that's what you do when you're off. Our kids need us. They need us here. They need us at home. They need us having spiritual conversations. My eight-year-old walks down last night. We're having toasted cheese sandwiches for dinner. He walks down and he's got his camouflage Bible wide open to the book of Matthew. And he flops it down on the table. He goes, look, Dad, it's right there. And he's got something underlined. It's in the genealogies. Like, buddy, what, what do you see in the genealogies? You know what? It doesn't matter. He's in the Word. Moms and dads, we can't just haphazard our way through this. This is too important. We only get one shot to transform a generation. It's up to us, guys. That's why we're so strategic with our children's ministry. That's why we want our kids back there. Because they don't understand what I'm saying. Sure, I might be funny and I jump around a lot and it's probably entertaining to a five-year-old in here. That's why we have that environment. So that we can invest in our kids so that strategically we as a church can go, go parents, listen, we get it. We get that you don't have a clue and that this is really, really hard. Let us help. That's the strategy of Next Level Church's family ministries. David understood that and it created a positive legacy for him. Number three. He influenced hundreds of leaders who carried on his leadership legacy. At the end of David's life, the Bible records a list of name after name after name of men who became mighty warriors. The Bible calls them David's mighty men who were loyal and faithful servants to David. Many of whom, by the way, were cultural outcasts. But see, these guys, they saw something in David that they respected and that they wanted and David understood that his legacy included developing others, not just taking care of himself. 
How does Saul die? Worried about himself. David lived with hundreds and hundreds of leaders around him going, I've got to pour myself into these men. I've got to invest myself into these people so that they will carry on the legacy that is David. So the question for us is, who are we pouring ourselves into? Who are, who are you and I being strategic about pouring ourselves into? See, that's a, this is why we created that whole core process wheel thing. Because we recognized about a year ago that we had done a phenomenal job of creating a culture full of attenders. And all of us as a church, we come in every single day and we drink our Starbucks and we get our donuts and we high-five each other in the foyer and we let somebody take our picture of the Polaroid. And then we come in and we attend and we walk out going, what? I got it, right? I get it. I even raised my hand. I feel a little cry. I checked a box. You sent me a book. And we began to realize about a year ago that we have done a phenomenal job here at Next Level of creating a culture of a tender. But what we realized is attenders don't start movements. Attenders don't change communities. Leaders do. And that's why we created the core process wheel, because we realized we were doing a phenomenal job of getting everybody to the bottom. First, second, third, you get your Starbucks card, awesome, newcomers reception, access, NLC, great. And you're at the bottom, and you're like, wow, awesome, I'm an attender. Here I am. But we realize that's only half the deal. The other half of the deal where true significance and purpose and life happens and life change happens is when we step into the serving quadrant and then into the leadership quadrant. That's why we have the wheel because we want to see a church full of leaders, of people who understand that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. A a church of people who are saying, I'm going to influence and leverage my life, my talents, my giftings, my abilities to impact and influence somebody else's life. That's leadership. And that's why we created that wheel, so we can get everybody tracking, going, I'm not going to stop until I'm a leader. Because my life matters. My life has purpose like David. That's how we change and and create a legacy. We're having a leadership meeting this afternoon at 1 o'clock at the warehouse. If you're a leader in any area, connection group, serving, any environment, if you're a leader, you're serving somewhere, this meeting's for you. And there are a lot of us who we're not yet, we need to be there. Because we're talking about the vision of the church. We're talking about the movement of God at Next Level Church. One o'clock, the warehouse. Come on, come on. Come on, Jesus. We have a goal to see 50 connection groups by January 1. When we launch our January semester of our connection groups, which are interest-based, which means you, whatever you're interested in, start a group. Add a little bit of intentionality and leadership to it. Now it's a group. I lead a sand volleyball group. Every other Saturday morning at a volleyball court and gateway. There's nothing special about the group. We come, we play volleyball for two hours. We high-five each other, we say when the next time is, and we leave. What's that got to do with leadership and influence, Matt? I think it's got everything. You know why? Because we're building relationship. Because we're doing life together. We're connecting together. And it probably won't be too many more weeks before somebody shows up at the group and goes, hey guys, can can I share something for a sec? Here's what's going on in my life. Will you guys pray for me? Will you help me? Boom, do you get it? That's why these interest-based groups are awesome because it's not about scrapbooking. It's not about sand volleyball. It's not about any of that. What is it about? It's about us doing life with other people who are like us, who like the same things we like. We need a Monday night football group in this church. Do you see it? Because when we do life together, we begin to rub shoulders like David rubbed shoulders with the mighty men. It wasn't all just, you know, 12 steps to discipleship before the Lord. 
Would they know? What were they doing? They were just singing songs around a campfire. They're just hanging out. They're just telling stories. They're just laughing together. That's why we have these groups. We, right now we have 18 groups. We need to start like 32, 35 more groups between now and January. That means we need 35 leaders to step up and say, I got an interest, which unless you're completely a deadbeat and backwards somebody, which you might be, and that's fine. You're loved here. You're loved here. You're loved here. No condemnation, no guilt, man. You just hold yourself up. You just do your thing. The government's not out to get you, though. Trust me, it's cool. God really does love you. Come on out of your shell. Come play volleyball. It'll be fine. You can bring us the towels. Every one of us should be able to lead a group. Because we're all interested in something. Well, All we're doing is saying add a little bit of intentionality and leadership to it. And before you know it, God's going to use your life to impact somebody else. And that's how you leave a legacy. Whatever it is you're interested in. If you're interested in the book of Galatians, do that. Get your friends together and be like, we're going to study the book of Galatians. Awesome. We have groups right now that are soaping together. That are doing the SOAP, the Scripture Observation Application Prayer daily bible study and they're just getting together and just talking about soap what's god speaking to your heart right now start a group start a group come to us this afternoon at one o'clock hear all about it because we need 50 groups you know why because god's about to break this thing wide open there is a move of god coming to next level church i'm just telling you it's gonna rain it's like call me a meteorologist i'm looking at the forecast map in my heart and i'm telling you it's gonna rain because people are thirsty people are hungry people are wanting to see the presence of god in a real and not spooky or weird way in their life and that is exactly what we as a church are called that's our purpose to do and we're going to move forward in that with authority and we need groups where people can get involved and start to know us. You know why? Because we're cool. That's, so David did that. Number four, he left his mark. He left his mark on a nation and ultimately the world. David changed the trajectory of the entire world with his leadership. What is the legacy of David? The legacy of David is that he changed the world. See, what had been a random group of tribes under Saul's leadership, under David and then passed on to Solomon, became one unified, powerful nation of people that God used mightily. And it was because of David, he left his mark. We talked about it last week. Fast forward 28 generations from David, you know what you find? Jesus Joseph, who was Jesus' earthly father, so to speak, look what it says of, of Joseph in the book of Matthew. This is the Christmas story. We'll talk about this in a couple months, but here's a little verse. Look, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, speaking of Joseph, in a dream and said, look at what the angel calls him, Joseph, son of, it doesn't say Saul, David. 28 generations later, God is going, David's my boy. David's my boy. Joseph, son of David. The house of David, the legacy of David. I got a, I got a vision for you. You see it? Listen. There's a movement and a tidal wave that is coming. And God is calling us to get on board. And for some of us, we need to repent. 
We need to do what I did on Thursday afternoon, which is get on our face before Jesus. And before we get up, we need to confess that we have been playing around with God. Because see, movements don't get started by people who are dating God. And some of us right now are dating God. Oh, he's a great little date. It's awesome. Yeah, sometimes we go out, we hang out, we soap. I come to next level, we we date every Sunday morning. But he is calling and you haven't called him back. God doesn't need a girlfriend, he needs a bride. The Bible calls the church, the local church, the bride of Christ. And some of us need to get down on our face before we leave this place today and say, God, I repent. I am sorry that I have dated you. I am all in. I am all yours in all the areas of my life. I am all in. Because there's a movement of God that is coming and I can't, I won't miss it. I won't let my marriage miss it. I won't let my family miss it. I won't let my kids miss it. I won't miss this movement. Some of us need to get, we just need to say, God, ruin me for anything else but you as number one in my life. What's our legacy going to be? Greg Rochelle, the guy who spoke in the Warrior Series, he was the last speaker on the first day. And he told the story how several years ago, about a decade and a half ago, he was young. He was in church one day, and God spoke to him to give all the money in his wallet to, to a lady that he saw across the room. And this has happened to me about five times in my life, uh, that God said, just empty your wallet out and give it um, and so Craig's telling the story that there's, God speaks to him. So he gets out of his wallet and he looks and he has a $5 bill in there. And he kind of pushes back on God. And he's like, God, come on, it's five bucks. That's not, how's that going to change anybody's life? And he's like, okay, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. So he walks across the room and he, he grabs the lady and he says, hey, this is going to be weird. And I'm sorry in advance, but I'm supposed to give you $5. So this is all I got. Here you go. Sorry. And the woman just starts bawling. She said, you'll never believe this. I, was, I woke up this morning and I only had enough gas in my car to get me to church. And I was telling God, I don't think I should go to church, God, because I, I can get there, but I can't get home. And so now, thanks to your $5, I, I can get home. And there they were hugging and crying in the altar because God had showed up both of their lives. So he's telling the story on Thursday, and he says, fast forward a few months, and I, where I was in church again, and God spoke to me and said... Uh, you need to give your, all your money to the, the, a person. And I looked at my wallet, and I had a hundred bucks. And he said, he started fighting with God. God, a hundred dollars, that's a lot, that's a lot. Well, the end of the story is he didn't do it. He didn't respond. And he said, and in that moment I realized, and this is his phrase, that I had five dollar faith instead of having a hundred dollar faith. Listen, guys. Movements don't get started. Legacies don't get left to a church full of $5 faith people. May God deal with us to be $100 faith people. And this has got nothing to do with money, by the way. I guess it does, but that's not what I'm trying to say. 
This has got everything to do with our heart. Are we in? Are we all in? Are we just dating God? Man, I love having God as my girlfriend. I even got a Christian t-shirt. Are we in? I'm yours, Lord, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. God, I'm yours. There's a movement coming. And I'm just telling you, we're going. It's go time. But step one is each and every one of us determining today that the legacy we will leave will be a $100 faith legacy, not a $5 I date God on my weekends legacy. Can you stand with me this morning? The stakes are high. The stakes are real high, aren't they? They're real high. Some of us got teenagers. We know how high the stakes are. Have you been dating God? Have you been dating God? Because now's your chance to say, dating is over. I'm tying the knot. I'm going all in, all the way. Have you been dating God? Can we bow our heads just for a second across this room? If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. You've been, you've been playing around. You've been playing games. You've been dinking around. You've been messing around. You've been fooling around, and you're going to miss it. Just keep your hand. Are there others? You'll just you'll put your hand up and say, Matt, don't worry about what the person standing next to you is thinking. You know why? Because this isn't about them. This is about you. This is about you getting down on your hands and knees on the floor of an arena and saying, Jesus, I repent. And God, right now, we raise our hands, Lord, several of us across this room. We raise our hands and we say, God, we've been playing around. We've been messing around. And we're missing it. But God, we don't want to miss it anymore. We want to see clarity of purpose. God, we want to see a legacy that pleases you, God. Break out across our city. We want to be a part of the tidal wave of God's spirit that is sweeping this nation. God, forgive us. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, God, where we've let our life be about us. Forgive us, God, where we've let our life be about our deal and our our dreams and our hopes and our goals and our desires. God, forgive us where we've made anything in us about us. God, wash us clean today. Lord, let us leave this place with you, God, as supreme being in our life. Jesus, this is your church. We are your people. We will embrace your move. Stay with me. God has done an incredible work in our pastor. And I saw him on his face. And if leadership is about anything, it's about going first. It's about doing the hard stuff and becoming the servant of all. And I hope that's what is recognized even this morning. Is that we've got a guy who's willing to face potential pride, potential, hey, here I am admitting moments of weakness in front of his pastoral staff. And he got on his face before God. And he cried out. 
And we have a leader here that's saying, I'm going. And I'm inviting you to come with me. He's inviting us to be all in. And I believe in this man because I know that he is going after the very heart of God for this church. And there's a journey that we've all been granted invitation to be a part of. And my heart, as I know is his, is that every single one of us wouldn't just go ourselves, but we would look around in our own world and do whatever it takes to take as many with us. Can we pray over our church this morning? Jesus, you have done a great work here, but God, we know that you are just getting started. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue to lead us unlike ever before because we have committed to follow you unlike ever before. We will be your people. We will do whatever you would have us to do. And God, we pray as pastors over this church that you would touch hearts today, that you would minister to lives today, that you would help us all follow the example of a servant to come to you again in a fresh new way, saying, God, here I am. Use me. And so, God, even as we go into our week today, we pray today we cross a line in our hearts that says things will be different. There was a heart change that began today. We're moving on. The past is now the past, and the future is bright. Yes. And we're going to go with you. We thank you for this church that you've blessed us with, God. But now we pray that everything that we do in this place would glorify you, that would reach out to this community and make a difference. Lord, that this would be a place that heals the hurting, that this would be a place that those who are lost would find direction, and most of all, God, that this would be a place that people fall in love with Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege of doing what you would have us to do. And we pray blessing over the days ahead of us. They are great days. And this we pray together in faith and we pray in agreement. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.